In his book, Living on the Ragged Edge, Chuck Swindoll defines fool for us. He says that folly is a term we don't use that often, but it's a term used rather frequently in Scripture. It suggests a lack of good sense, lack of foresight, failing to realize the consequences of a stupid act before it occurs. Scripture calls that folly or foolishness. And it can happen in our day just as it happened in Solomon's day. It can happen in our day. Believe it or not, for example, in terms of foolishness in our day, I don't know if you realize it, but on average, 100 people choke to death on ballpoint pens every year. Now why in the world they got a ballpoint pen that far in their mouth in the first place? Uh, Foolishness. How about this one? The main library at my alma mater, well actually where I went to graduate school, Indiana University, the main library sinks an inch every year because when it was built, the engineers failed to take into account the weight of the books that would occupy the building. And speaking of books, the most shoplifted book in America is the Bible. How about this one? Every year, ABC cuts out small portions of A Charlie Brown Christmas, a movie about the over-commercialization of the holidays, Every year they cut out more small portions to make room for commercials. I mean, are we not talking about foolishness? For some reason, there we go. How about this? I mean, it doesn't stop there. Uh, in terms of uh, health foods. My daughter has really gotten us on to eating better, cleaner, healthier. Before 2012, the largest producer or purchaser of kale in America was Pizza Hut. And they used it as a garnish for their salad bar. A garnish. Alexander Graham Bell, this is one of my favorites. Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone and yet he refused to keep one in his study because he feared it would distract him from his work. In working. The strongest muscle in the body? The tongue. And yet, in England, the Speaker of the House isn't allowed to speak. I wish there were some speakers in our house that weren't allowed to speak. (laughs) How about this for foolish or dumb comments made by famous people? This one actually from the chief of police. The streets are safe in Philadelphia. It's only the people who make them unsafe. 
Now, I assume that you know that the Bible actually has a lot to say about foolishness. For instance, the psalmist in both Psalm 14 and 53 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Paul speaks about foolishness of the gospel and he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. In Luke 12, Jesus told a parable about a man. My Bible labels that parable the parable of the rich fool. It's a parable about a man whose land produced bountifully. And so, instead of being generous, he tore down his old barns and built new and bigger barns to store all the grain. And Jesus says this, quote, But God said to him, Fool! This night your soul is required of you. You see, God considered the rich man who had made no provision for eternity to be a fool. Solomon gathered many proverbs on foolishness. Proverbs 10, chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 24 all include proverbs about foolishness. And we've seen that previous chapters in Ecclesiastes, such as chapter 2, verses 14 to 19, and chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, and chapter 7, verses 4 to 17, all of those have dealt with the matter of foolishness. And now, in chapter 10, Solomon expands upon his conclusions. And he uses the word fool six times. And he refers to the subject nine times in this chapter alone. The main term he uses speaks of, of the absurdity, the stupidity, the inconsistency and he also adds, though, the concept of fat, dull, and heavy, which is often a metaphor for folly. I, I think we should get the picture. And as we move into the 10th chapter of Ecclesiastes, which many commentators have viewed as problematic in terms of trying to come about with some organization, I want to share just a little bit about how I believe there might be a better transition and a better uh, way of looking at the close of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10 to help us. If you have your Bibles in front of you or your little booklet of Ecclesiastes that we provided, go with me to chapter 9, verse 17. In the beginning of chapter 10, here's what we find. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Remember, there were no punctuation marks in the original manuscripts. Punctuation and division of sentences 
and division of chapters came much, much later. What if we make just a little change of punctuation? What if we look at it like this? The words of the wise hurting quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapon of, weapons of war. Period. But one sinner destroys much good as dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. You see, I agree with the commentator Dwayne Garrett who points this out. That by changing that one comma to a period and this, thus changing the break in the paragraph, it really makes a big difference. Because the words of the wise hurting quiet and that break after war actually gives us a very natural transition into the Proverbs that then come in chapter 10. So let's read chapter 10 together. And I'm going to start with but one sinner destroys much good as dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that, is, that he is a fool. If the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay quiet offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarrels, quarries stones is hurt by them. And he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. The words of wise men's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the manner. May God add His blessing to our reading of His Word.
toward the end of his search for meaning. Solomon realized that as long as his search was limited to life here on earth, human endeavors, he could find nothing but futility. I do not know how to counsel someone who does not believe that there is a God who is suicidal. I've thought about it. I've read about it. I don't know how to tell them that life is worth living when life is tough, when they're facing death, when terminal illnesses are racking them with pain. If there's no life after death, why not call it quits? You see, life without God is meaningless. Well, get up every day to go to work so you can come home and go to bed so you can get up and go to work so you can come home and go to bed so you can get up and go to work so you can come home and have a weekend so you can rest or go to the lake so you can come back and do it all again. And having found a handful of practical principles from examining everyday life under the sun, Solomon began to calmly and logically build the case that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Last week, chapter 9, verse 10. And he would ultimately conclude that every person must fear God and keep His commandments. And we'll come to that in a couple weeks in chapter 12. Regardless of the unexpected punches that life sometimes throws our way. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 before us today, Solomon once again calls on us as his reader to look at life above the sun, to seek wisdom rather than folly. And he describes this lifestyle in a series of loosely connected proverbs, but I think they can all be summed up in one exhortation. Be sensible. Be sensible. And I think the first thing that I see in this is just the sheer power, the potency of foolishness. You see it in verse 1 and then again in verses 5 to 7. Like the most highly concentrated chemical polluting a water supply, a little foolishness contaminates and permeates every part of life. We had a bacteria. And it was like one part in a million in our water system over at the camp at the beginning of the year. And the, and the encouragement was just keep flushing the system, flushing the system. And we did. And eventually, we got a clear result. Now, that bacteria, we were told, was 99.7% harmless. But we took the provision and went and bought and provided uh, 
drinking water until we were given a clear sign, even though they didn't restrict us, the state didn't. But finally, we were told, okay, everything's clear. Because one little bacteria was polluting our water supply. And the problem is that foolishness often parades itself across the lives of those who would claim to be the wisest and the most powerful. A sports commentator, not that long ago, makes a racist comment off camera. And though he had a past record that was actually exemplary, his career was finished. A politician sends a confidential memo that falls into the hands of the press. And all of a sudden there are calls for resignation. And the list is endless. In a moment, one act of foolishness, a career is often ended. I have a friend. I really like him. And I don't know how to say to him, you are giving an appearance that's not good. And I'm afraid it's going to ruin his ministry. I don't have any reason to question his behavior. But I pulled another friend aside yesterday at the celebration of life. And I said to him, have you noticed this? And he said, yeah. He said, doesn't look good, does it? He said, I'm not questioning him, but I wouldn't do it. It's a minister who frequently is seen at different events with a young woman who not long ago was a student at Lincoln Christian College. Not his wife. Now, I've seen pictures of this young woman and his wife and their child, their children, and all of them together. So it's not like it's something that he's hiding. But the appearance just isn't good. Okay, we'll tell you. I have a rule. You come into my office back here as a woman and you want to talk either she is in her office and my door is wide open, or if the person wants the information held confidential, I'll say, okay, can you come into the office for a little bit? And the door gets closed. We don't even need to be taking the chance of putting ourselves in a position where we can fall into temptation or somebody else can see and assume the wrong thing and start spreading rumors that might not be true at all. Solomon has already mentioned in chapter 7 verse 1 to a good name as a precious ointment. And now he's showing us how that good name can easily be lost. Dead flies or flies of death ruin the perfume. And in the same way, 
one act of folly will ruin a lifetime's wisdom. And as it is with folly, so it is with sin. The Bible uses a picture of a little yeast to illustrate the power. Paul writes of his destructive power in 1 Corinthians 5 and again in Galatians 5. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? You see, the effect of foolishness as a flying in the ointment can be seen when it's evident in high places among those who have authority. Solomon. Solomon was succeeded by his son Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, you can go to 1 Kings, by the way, chapter 12, and read about this. Rehoboam rejected the plea of the people to lighten the load that his father Solomon had placed on them. However, instead of taking the advice and the sound wisdom of the elders, he chose to listen to a bunch of young contemporaries and he made the load even harder. And because of that, his decision caused a split within the nation and ultimately its downfall. Foolishness. So powerful. And I think secondly, Solomon points out that our foolishness adds to the pointlessness of life. Life lived under the sun. When Solomon says in verse 2, a wise man heart inclines to the right, but a fool's to the left, he's not making a political statement. He's not even talking about the left brain, right brain stuff. No, what he's talking about is the perceived wisdom of that day. The right hand represented strength and protection. So the next time you read those verses and say, Jesus went and sat at the right hand of God. Strength and protection. The left hand was associated with ineptness and even disfavor. In fact, for centuries, left-handedness was considered a dubious genetic gift. I remember when I was young, and I'm only 68, I remember when I was young how they tried to force left-handed people to write right-handed. When I went on the police department in 1980, the state police was still requiring all police officers to wear their firearm on the right-hand side even if they were left-handed. The idea conveyed in these verses is that wisdom and folly are seated within the heart of a man. And it's the inclination of the heart that leads in either the right or the wrong direction. In medieval days, the jester was instantly recognized by his costume. The circus clown puts on makeup and a red nose and he dons his baggy pants and nobody doubts what his role is until they come out with movies where clowns are hideous monsters that are attacking people. And as our text today points out, the fool will still be instantly recognizable without any outward embellishments 
they'll soon give themselves away. It's a, a tragic comedy waiting to be revealed. Often unaware of the transparency of their own foolishness. Thinking themselves wise, they become fools. Isn't that what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 1 verses 21 and 22 when he describes fallen people who although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And in verse 4 of our text, we're given an illustration. Solomon says that if you're in a situation where somebody in authority gets angry, don't be like the fool who lacks self-control. Be like the wise man who's able to keep his cool when others are losing their heads. The commentator Derek Kidner puts it well when he says, what we're invited to notice is that rather absurd human phenomenon called the huff. The huff. The wise man does the opposite. Instead of storming out, the wise person stays and seeks to pacify the employer. And you know, it's in situations like this that you and I as Christians often are given the best opportunity we have to show the grace of God to unbelievers. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek. Matthew 5, verse 5. And you and I need to remember that meekness is not weakness. You know where the word came from? The word came from the bit that was used to tame the stallion. It is a stallion, strong stallion, that has his strength tamed. That's what biblical meekness is about. Verses 8 to 10. We're given five pictures then that illustrate the point our writer's making. A snippet of the ongoing practice of foolishness. The fool must learn to be mindful of the dangers awaiting him. Because if he doesn't take care, only wisdom will bring success, not the foolish acts. And so in verse 8, the first part, what he's saying is his own actions may prove to be his undoing. The second half of verse 8, our foolishness often unleash all kinds of hidden dangers. I did that one day, didn't I, Dwayne? I was really being foolish. But I was getting rid of a lot of old paint cans. And my throwing all those old paint cans in, even though I thought I was wise and waiting until they did their popping and booming, I went up with another load and there were some of them that hadn't done their booming yet and they boomed when I was right there in front of the opening and knocked me on the ground and singed my hair and made me pretty stinky. I couldn't even stand my own smell. Sometimes foolishness unleashes all kinds of hidden dangers. 
Sometimes we can be destroyed by the, by the products of our own labor. That's what he's saying in verse 9. An example of that in the Bible is good old Haman. Remember Haman in the book of Esther? He decides he's going to build a gallow for Mordecai who ended up hanging on the gallow that Haman built. Haman did. And probably most of us here know how Frankenstein's monster destroyed its own creator in movie lit myth. Verse 10. The last of the ones that he shares. Sometimes we rush headlong into a task before we make adequate preparation. Burning ourselves out in the process. He's using the, the case of somebody that's actually splitting wood. But they didn't sharpen the axe before they began. Makes a big difference. Listen to the words of Isaiah chapter 40. He that is God gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. We need to change our practices from the practices of foolishness to the practices of being wise. Fourthly, and lastly, what Solomon is pointing to in verses 11 to 14 is that the fool's great publicity agent the promoter is often his own tongue. He just can't bear silence. The uh, philosopher psychoanalyst Carl Jung remarked one time, I need many days of silence to recover from the futility of words. Or what about the words from a song written by Paul Simon, one of my favorite songs of years past. And in the naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more. People talking without speaking. People hearing without listening. People writing songs that voices never shared. No one dared disturb the sound of silence. See, the book of James gives us a strong warning against the misuse of our tongue. The babbler, he says, is like an uncharmed snake and just as deadly. The psalmist writes, You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongues. Psalm 52. Right here in Ecclesiastes, the comparison between the wise and the foolish is powerful. When a wise person speaks... The effect is positive. But a fool's words often lead only to destruction. The fool's speech is ungracious and often hurts others. But in the end, they'll often bring greater hurt to themselves. Someone said they heard a preacher one time precede his sermon with a prayer, Lord, please make my words sweet, for I may have to eat them. 
And I think sometimes we do well to echo his words. Verse 13, our writer is talking about how maddening uh, foolishness can, can bring out. Uh, he, the, the foolishness ceases to be just an aberration. And it actually becomes a pathological condition. I think it can be illustrated with depression as an example. Everybody here at one point or another has probably felt depressed. <coughs> Circumstances. Tiredness. A feeling of helplessness. They can weigh us down for a period of time. But thankfully we emerge unscathed and probably a lot wiser. But for some, it becomes a clinical condition. When they say, I'm depressed, they're not describing a feeling, but a state of being that has enveloped them. And so it is with foolishness. What can begin as a momentary act or word can end in a state of being. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you right here can know or know of somebody and could talk about somebody who at one point in their lives just decided they were going to do something foolish for the attention. And now their whole life seems to be a series of foolish acts just trying to get that ongoing attention. And often the next act has to be more foolish than the one that preceded it or they don't get the attention they need. The, song, or the, the, the writer here, our, our teacher, Koheleth, uh, he says that the fool, he really doesn't even have a knowledge of the future, but he'll speak with great confidence on the matter. Theologically. Again, I don't want you to raise your hand. But I, I don't want to see. How many of you read... Jenkins and LaHaye's book, the Left Behind series. And, uh, oh yeah, this is how the end is going to happen. Failing to realize that at the very beginning of the very first book, they admitted that it was just a novel, a story. And unfortunately, a story that contradicts some of the parables of Jesus about the end. How it's not the good that are going to be taken first and the bad left behind, but in the parables, it's the weeds, the tares that get gathered and burnt first, leaving behind the good. But that's in, for another day. By conclusion, let me just jump down to verse 20. Verse 20 says, Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. That familiar little saying, a little bird told me, it probably originated with this verse. I mean, you can imagine a group of these officers having a party in one of their private rooms and Instead of toasting the king, they're cursing the king, making light of him. Of course, they wouldn't do that if they knew any of the king's friends were present. But they were sure that the company would faithfully keep the secret. But alas, somebody told. 
told what was said, giving the king reason to punish him even more. The Bible is pretty clear that you and I as Christians, even if we can't respect the person in the office, we are still to respect the office. And I don't think I have to reveal to you that right now I have no respect for Joe Biden as a person. But I still respect the office of the presidency of the United States. Romans 13 verses 1 to 7, 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 17. Even in the Old Testament, you find Exodus 22, 28. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. Now Solomon has now completed his review of his fourth argument that life is not worth living. The certainty of death. And he's concluded that life is indeed worth living even though death is unavoidable and life is unpredictable. That's the two things we looked at last Sunday in chapter 9. What we need to do is we need to avoid folly. That's what this chapter 10 is all about. Don't get caught up in the rat race of the world. Instead, live by the wisdom of God. And when we do that, Let me give you an example. No names mentioned. A friend of mine was convinced that tithing was the right way to live. And every time he received his paycheck, he moved the decimal point over one, and he gave his tithe to God, and he put an equal the amount into savings. He ran into some financial problems at one point in his life. And his spouse said to him, what are we going to do? We've got this bill that needs to be paid. And he said, well, we're going to give our tithe to God and we're going to put our second tithe into savings. And then we're going to try to figure out how to pay the bill and trust God. She got so mad at him that she threatened to leave. She didn't leave. She was still there. And we got the mail a couple days later opened the mail and there in the mail was a check that they hadn't been expecting but was legitimately theirs that more than covered the bill that needed to be paid and they had no problems meeting their expenses that way. He didn't get caught up in the rat race that says, oh well, that's hiding, that's not important. No. That was written. That was taken care of. You know what the book of Malachi says about our giving and our tithing? 
the book of Malachi says, you're robbing from God. And the people say, how are we robbing from God? And the writer of Malachi, in God's Word says, by not giving your tithe into the soils. But the rat race of the world, the economics of the world say, well, that doesn't make sense. Solomon says, live by the wisdom of God. So what's the best that we can do? Well, how about trust God, do our work, accept what God gives us each day, and live to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, we come before You today often searching for what the right thing is to do. Help us to make the starting point of our searches Your Word. Help us to make the first thing we do a movement to our knees in prayer. Help us to trust You because You have told us that You would provide our needs. Not necessarily our wants at all, but certainly our needs. Help us to live the way of wisdom. We pray this in the name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing a